0: Yeah, I'm here. Hey, Tommy. Good morning.
1: Good morning. How are you?
0: Oh, I'm well. Uh, I'm Jaime. Great to meet you. Hi. Nice to meet you. You too. Well, uh, Tommy, I'm very excited to get to talk to you today. Uh, You are a flash fiction and a master of the short form, if if I may uh, say, according to what the internet tells me and what your stories tell me. So uh, it's really a pleasure to get to talk to you because uh, it's something that I'm very fond of and I I just can't wait to learn where you're from and sort of where that magic comes from. Can you tell me where you're from?
1: Um, Well, right now I live in a tiny town called Warsaw, Indiana. There's about 15,000 people. We're about an hour south of South Bend. Uh, Mm. If anyone knows anything about Indiana, uh, it's probably Indianapolis, which we're two and a half hours north of there or South Bend where Notre Dame is from. (laughs) Um, And actually I grew up about 10 minutes from here in an even smaller town called Etna Green, uh, which only had like 600 people or something. Yeah. Very small, very Midwestern, (laughs) uh, very much um, not usually uh, people doing a lot of writing necessarily, uh, especially trying to, you know, uh, make a career or a literary career out of it. In fact, uh, when I was going to go off to undergrad, my plan was to be a lawyer. Um, but I realized, uh, you know, that I've always been a reader, but then I fell in love with a short story class, uh, in undergrad, uh, and decided to see if I could do what writers were doing for me, uh, when they were writing their stories in their books. So, uh, I, I decided not to be a lawyer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Good plan. Which I
1: think I'm better off for, yeah, right. <laughs>
0: Well, it's, it seems like there, there is some connective tissue between, uh, being a lawyer and the arts to me. I have a lot of actor friends who tend to go into, into being attorneys and lawyers. And I'm curious what that, what that is. Maybe it's just the presentation aspect of it or the narrative aspect of it, I suppose. Um, that kind of made sense to you back then?
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, like, probably a lot of people that want to be lawyers i watched probably a lot of like you know law and order and i thought that that's like what it was and like that's a really good storytelling i mean uh it may have lost its way a little bit and got a little cheesy in the long run but like for a lot of people like that is very genre lawyer type fiction um and i think i really like the idea of yeah telling a story to a a crowd of people, jurors and trying to convince people that, you know, I wanted to be a prosecutor. And I think that's the (laughs) other reason why I decided not to be a lawyer. So I actually don't see the world in black and white. I see it very gray, which helps a lot when you're building or trying to build empathetic characters. Um, But I think, yeah, I just fell in love with that idea of like, I'm going to tell a story and I'm going to convince you that my way is, is right. Um, And then, you know, when you're, young like that, you, you think you're right anyway. Right. Um, and it takes a while as you get older to get empathy for other, other people. Um, so I started, you know, to want to tell other kinds of stories, I guess.
0: Yeah. And I'm curious being a small town person myself, what that environment does to your perspective, especially when you're perhaps having time to observe the world around you a bit more than other folks. Uh, do you feel like it's something that informed your writing right away being from a small town and having that perspective of the midwest maybe
1: i guess that's an interesting question i think in some ways like the thing about small towns is we think we know everything about everybody but we don't right um so i think there's that room and that gap uh for writers to really to investigate this idea of thinking that we know everyone or know at least something about someone uh but we generally don't usually know the stories that got people to where they are now or what jobs they took or what relationships they had or Mm -hmm. um, what marriages and those kind of things. Um, I do think in some ways you miss out, like, you know, if you're not riding a train every day uh, (laughs) where you could observe people kind of on the train, it's a different kind of way. Like you're fully kind of immersed in being around people in some ways, like in cities, obviously you're around people all the time, but it's so quickly moving. That You're just getting flashes of people. But I think in smaller towns, like you're kind of expected to know something about everyone. And again, I think there's some real tension to that that I hadn't really thought about before. That like, if you ask me about a certain person from high school, I probably have a story about them. But we know, like, especially as writers, like that's not really who they are. That one story that I formed. Um, although that's the way I write, right? Like I write flash fiction because I want to tell one story about one character in one very important moment in their life. And so maybe subtly, subconsciously, the small town kind of put that into me in some ways, or it's just a curiosity, I guess, about people in some ways too. Like I think a lot of times small town gossip again wants to frame people in one way, but I want to know more than that. Um one way about a person um so yeah i think it has influenced me in some ways not that it's right or wrong to live in a small town or a big city or or what have you um i mean there's definitely some graces to being in a small a small atmosphere but there's also a lot of times a lack of culture in a lot of ways a lack of diversity in a lot of ways and so there's sometimes not a richness in smaller towns um that you might be able to get From a from a bigger city, like if you really want to to have more interaction uh, with culture and other people's thoughts and stuff, like you have to get out (laughs) of your small town. Uh, You could just get landlocked, you know.
0: Very much so. And I wanted to expand on that for just a moment. When you went to college, what was that opening of of experience like for you? If you can describe that moment.
1: Yeah, uh in some ways it wasn't that much cuz like the where I went to undergrad was only an hour away. Um I wanted to stay close to home at that point. I wish I had branched out more but I just wasn't ready. Um uh, but you know it was only a town of 30,000 people and then my college I think only had like 6,000 people or something. Mm-hmm. Um Although the diversity range had increased quite a bit, which was really nice. Um, I love to play basketball and I've always played basketball. And so it was really nice to play basketball with a lot of different, uh, people than I wouldn't have been at my small town park (laughs) or what have you.
0: Um,
1: but also they had a really rich kind of liberal arts. It was a kind of a private school or whatever, uh, experience, uh, which in some ways was a lot more expensive. Um, but I think we were bringing in some books that like I had not touched, uh, in high school in a lot of ways. Uh, we had the autobiography of Frederick Douglass that I read right away my freshman year, which I think was, a, it was really good, um, to kind of grasp that situation that he was going through. Uh, we read the things they carry by Tim O'Brien. He came on campus. Like that was a big deal. Uh. Uh, for me in a lot of ways too, like here are people or writers that were experiencing way different things than I was and like that's the power of books right is to give us the ability uh, to kind of walk in the shoes of of people that are different than us and have the chance to be empathetic in situations that we may or may never face. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I think I became a writer is I wanted to live as many lives as I could. Um, mm-hmm and i wanted to create those lives um so i do think the college experience in a lot of ways broadened me um from a very kind of small and shallow kind <laughs> of high school experience um and so i'm grateful for yeah. that I, I think in a lot of ways like i probably should have taken it even further but you know we all have to kind of go through these steps um as we grow older
0: yeah and I want to thank you for articulating the small town point of view so well that it almost gave me flashbacks. I don't know if it was a core memory, a good or bad one, but it that same ability that you had to to have this extreme empathy because you're in a small town was maybe a source of my personal anxieties when I was younger, and yeah. so that's just such a beautiful way to put it because you you do have a choice to branch out even in those towns and then get proximate to the humanity of people rather than be recoiled by, you know, what may not be a decent bunch of people sometimes <laughs> because in small towns, you know, right. there, there are some of those folks. Now, when you were in your fiction class, can you tell me what that was like discovering this form that has been with yeah. you for so yeah, long? Yeah, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Uh, it's a great, like I said, i've I've read since forever. Um, and I, I love to read. it's my it's my first passion. and like if if writing went away, like I'd still be reading for sure. Um, and I think like I got to that class and I was like, oh, I can't do this, but I'm gonna try it anyway. Um, And then like I wrote some really bad short stories, like really bad, but like it touched a certain kind of nerve or a certain kind of thinking that maybe I wasn't experiencing before. Uh, to think in narrative and think in scenes and think in images that I had, but I hadn't actually utilized in a lot of ways besides just, you know, visualizing it while I was reading. Um, and one of the, the crazy things, uh, not crazy, but one of the weird things was that they used the sudden fiction, um, anthology, the first one that came out in like 1986. And so I got to experience a lot of what they were calling then like short shorts, uh, which is now kind of like flash fiction today. Um, it, it, when I would not have ever experienced that before. Like I was reading, you know, like John Grisham and, and, and maybe some Lord of the Rings here or there, but like it was very like poppy lawyer genre type books. And then this, um, this book just really opened my eyes to different, to literature. Because um, from there I went to like Carver, um, still was reading some Stephen King, which is, you know, kind of on the lines there and stuff like that. Um, but there was this story by Elizabeth Talent called uh, No One's a Mystery that just floored me i was like oh i want to try to do this like how do i write a story that i understand who these two characters are in 800 words uh like how did she do that but like it was just yeah a great book about this guy that was kind of having an affair with a younger girl he gives her a diary he makes her get at the bottom of the uh, floor well of the truck as he passes his wife like as a 20 year old this is like not something that like i was experiencing by any means but like i understood who these people were in just like this five minute piece of story yeah um and so from there like i think it took me a little while to be like oh this is kind of like my thing like i was still trying to write you know longer short stories uh when i went to my mfa program i wrote 142 pages of a novel that's that's not finished i don't know if it'll ever be finished uh so, I've tried on these other longer kind of forms um but really, the start was that that sudden fiction book, and then, like I said, moving on to like Raymond Carver um as well uh in those stories that have kind of we know now have been sh- were kind of shrunk by the editor, but at the time, like that was kind of like the short shorts for me,
0: yeah, that's phenomenal, and having the pleasure of reading your recent one that was uh nominated for microfictions, uh 2023 it was the uh the love story of the parents and the title escapes me here for a moment but
1: yeah i'm trying to think about it. it's the maneuverings of a tilting yes. planet or something absolutely close to that, right? absolutely
0: and clearly you have such output that it's it's difficult to trace back some of these things <laughs> which is wonderful and i'm excited to hear about your process there but one of the fascinating things about that story and i urge people to take a look at that one it has a muscular energy in the way that you write this because immediately you, the hook is so strong because it's almost like traveling back in time in the first 3 sentences that that is so magnetic that by the time you get to the meat of it which is that relationship of the parents it's something that is so powerful and moving and every little bit of it is necessary and there is nothing additional nothing needed but it's so poetic and really beautiful at the end there and you know for one congratulations but but secondly how how's the construction of something like this come to you like for example that story if we could talk about that one if you can recall
1: i can yeah thank you so much for your very kind words like that really is what like that's what i think flash is right nothing extra hopefully this this urgency and this velocity to it not all flash has to be that way but that's what i try to do with my flash it's just kind of the way that i think it propel uh so thank you because that's exactly what i'm trying to do um most of my stories start with the first line if i get a really really good first line that's the thing that usually pops into my head i might be sitting around and my mind's just jogging through some things and that first line just comes to me, um, which is kind of weird, but that's just you know the way my brain thinks. and I'm so <laughs> glad that I have uh, a passion and a facility to actually put it on paper and not just have it be stuck in my head. Um, but without that first line, I usually don't get off the page, which I think is another reason why I stick to flash or very short things. This thing I think is only 250 words, which is even pretty small for me. Um, so, like, to write a whole like novel or a whole long short story this way would almost be impossible. It'd be exhausting. I worked with a writer once, and they were just starting Flash, and they had written like a first full story, and they were like, when they were done, they were exhausted. And I was like, yeah, a lot of times you are because you're really pushing your brain to kind of keep up with your your fingers or your fingers to keep up with your brain. Um, and I try to stay in the moment with those characters from the second that I write that first line. Uh, This is one of the stories that once the first line came, I was like, you know what? I'm really going to be consciously trying to push the language. Um, I am not a poet by any means. Uh, Every once in a while people are like, maybe you should write poetry. But (laughs) I really like the narrative aspect. Not that you can't write narrative poetry. But I think poetry has kind of an obsession with a line or an image where stories kind of have at least I hope an obsession with the narrative, like what is happening from from front to back or from beginning to end, even if we're not getting a full, you know, Freytag's triangle version of the plot diagram, which I don't think Flash needs. I think that's one of the powers of Flash is that you can cut some of that stuff out and it still be a full story. Um, I just wanna, yeah, I wanna write as much of a narrative as I can. And so for this one, and I don't remember, it's been a little while since i've read it and sometimes they go away because i have written you know several <laughs> stories since then um but i do remember yeah like having this line and a certain way of telling the story that maybe i hadn't used before um and just really pushing as much as i could out and i think i wrote most of this in one setting i think i might have revised a bit but this is just one of those ones that like i knew it was going to be short because of how hard i was pushing the language um, And how much I was just sitting in the moment of this situation and trying to finish it before I left the chair. Um, Because there are moments when you just want to be like, oh, this is getting into like territory where I'm just so almost done. But I, you know, like if I take one wrong step, you know, maybe I could wreck it. And really, you can't wreck it because you can always go back. But there's just this feeling of being in that moment, in that story, you know, while I'm writing it that I want to maintain for as long as possible.
0: Yeah. And you bring up something that reminds me of something that I've done in the past too, which is the last sitting, usually I write plays. So I sort of, it takes me a little bit longer, you know, and the the sessions take a bit, but it becomes a matter of solving the puzzle in one sitting as if you were doing like a, like a Sudoku or some like a crossword puzzle. And you're seeing those things just kind of fit in the way that they need to. But I love that in this piece there was characterization for everyone within that poetry within the the conceptual you know framework of this thing you still had the right words for the brothers fighting and the holding hands of the parents that fell like a leaf and it was just so so elegant that um, i think i was just amazed that the humanity was just as good as the framework of it, and I think oh, that some people are are have difficulty with one or the other, right? Uh, I find right. that I myself am more of a conceptual sort of writer, and so that's kind of my way in. But for you, it seems like first and foremost, the humanity of the character has to be the point of of attack, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, let's. Uh, yeah, I'm not really a conceptual writer in a lot of ways. There is no right or wrong. Whatever your process is, and whatever gets you into the story. Um, but I definitely, yes, immersed in characters first. And usually, like I said, it comes to that first line, either they're saying something to me or there's an image of them doing something. I like to start in action as much as possible, um, which is another reason why I'm not necessarily a conceptual writer because I think sometimes with concepts, like you really have to write it out before you, the writer, knows what the concept is. And I just put characters in action um, and hope that what they're doing will lead me to somewhere interesting. Um, the other thing that I think that is really difficult about Flash, but what I love, uh, I don't like exposition really at all, just for whatever reason. like There's times when you absolutely need it, especially in longer works, which is why I don't do longer works as well, I think, because I don't necessarily give the context that a longer work of a reader wants. I'm just putting many brush strokes in, and I don't need to fully understand every little minutia of a character to put those brush strokes in. So I'm giving you just what I'm understanding about that character in that moment as well, right or wrong. Um, and, and when a flash kind of fails or doesn't coalesce or doesn't come together, it's usually because I haven't quite figured out that mini brush stroke to create that character or that mini action that they're going to do. Uh, I was in an MFA once uh, workshop and they wanted to know something about some characters cause it was longer work. And I said, I don't know. And the instructor was like, hey, you really have to know. And I was like, <laughs> oh, do I? And for a longer work, in some ways, I think you do need to know. But for Flash, I think part of the creation of the characters is the ambiguity. And kind of what we talked about before in the small town way, like you don't know everything about everyone. And just because they're in a story doesn't mean you're going to know everything about them either. Mm-hmm. You only get to know what you know in this moment. And so I think it's another reason why I love Flash is like, I actually don't need to know everything about these characters to hopefully build them on the page uh in this in this moment but i do think in a longer story in some ways you do kind of have to know a lot more context especially a novel right a novel is all about context it's <laughs> all about the characters feelings and those kind of things and so i think that's probably one of the reasons why i keep writing flash and not a novel um i don't always want to go into the head of the character i want the reader um to be a teammate in making inferences uh, for what's on the page, mm.
0: there is that element of uh, almost a conversation between the reader. And more so than more so than the longer works. But I'm curious of works that you've written in the past that have informed the way that you write now, because obviously the writer evolves. The writer learns by trial and error. but have there been some pivotal lessons in some flash pieces in the past? That really changed or informed your um your decision making or maybe the process? It's such a
1: great question. and I will try to figure it out in some ways because <laughs> um, I think in some ways like we kind of know our process and in some ways, like to explain our process is kind of hard too because like if we knew it so well, then maybe it wouldn't be our process if that makes sense. Um, I, I will say like most people like in undergrad and in MFA, like I wrote some like really bad, longer stories that just didn't have tension because i was trying to know so much about the characters and i was trying to provide the reader so much about them um that i was using a lot more exposition i wasn't necessarily pushing the language the way that i love to do in flash the longer the work the harder it is to push the language as well not that you can't in a short story but or a novel even there are people like uh, you know garth greenwell or his last name, who, who writes just beautifully, um, in longer works, or Alexander Chi. but but for the most part, like writing in longer works is more a little more. I don't want to say pedestrian because I don't think that's fair. It's kind of pejorative. Uh, it's to the point so that you can get your characters doing what they're doing and thinking what they're thinking. So, uh, for me, I think one of the things that really opened it up for me is is figuring out how to use figurative language and metaphor. Uh, I think almost really the shorter the work, the more it has to have some kind of central or commanding metaphor in order to build that context that I'm leaving out from exposition. Um, I worked uh, with Sarah Fraley, who is a flash writer and poet, um, and she talked about um, metaphors moving up and down kind of vertically and similes kind of moving uh horizontally across the page and i was i love similes oh my gosh when i was in undergrad i wrote so many bad similes like i would just fill the pages with similes (laughs) and like at first i was like oh this is a gift look at this and then i was like oh here's you know a five page story that's got 25 similes Like no one wants to read that right there's no way you can compare that many things um and so now with flash i really try to find a central image or metaphor And one of the ways that I think Flash works is to give this image or metaphor in the beginning and then shift it by the end, either at least once or twice. Uh, The rule of three is a little corny, but it really does work in storytelling. Like our brains really do work and really do want to see things shift from beginning to end. And that's one way to kind of create movement. It's also something that's kind of helped me, like I said, focus on the characters and their experience in that moment instead of telling everything that. I might want to tell about them. And so my process really has been trying to discover the metaphor that really cements the story to the page. Um, and if I don't find that metaphor, then sometimes the flash just doesn't work. But one of the things I like about flash is that, you know, I can generally write a f- full draft in like 30 minutes, an hour, two hours. And like if it doesn't work, I can just leave it there and come back to it later if something comes to me. But if something never comes, then like, how much have I really wasted? Nothing, right? Because I'll just try another one the next day.
0: <laughs> You've mentioned two things that really blow my mind. Uh one is is the metaphor concept here that completely blows my mind because 10 years ago I was at, at a playwriting workshop and Uh, hosted by a dramaturg, uh, Jocelyn Clark, and he mentioned the same exact thing, but for playwriting. He said, the play is the metaphor, and you need to make sure that it evolves, that it has a shift, that something occurs within that, that just offers a transformation, you know, much like what the character is going to go through. And that is so fascinating that something like that positively works, because I've known this to be effective in plays as well. And that, that kind of through line is, is just kind of a mark of efficiency, you know, to have something to, to just completely center the piece and then, and then evolve that way. But, um, in terms of efficiency as well in your life, it seems like you're very interested in being efficient as well. Uh, do you, how does, how does that work being a, a father? Because you have kids, right? Yeah. And and having oh wow, yeah. And having other occupations while being productive, while making this work, you know, as a as a writer. Can you tell me a bit about how you find that efficiency and how you, you remain effective?
1: Yeah. And I, I think um, you know, in a lot of ways, no writing is wasted, right? Like uh, that's just kind of a negative mindset that I have myself. <laughs> I mean, every time you come to the page, like hopefully in some ways you're improving. Or I was talking to a writer the other day that i was working with like this might like they wrote a story that wasn't quite working and i said this might be the thing that just gets you to the next story and you always have to be on the lookout for the fact that like every time you write doesn't mean that it's publishable that's the same for me as well like sometimes i write like a bad story but it may lead me to the next metaphor for the next story or it may lead me to another character or some other kind of thought or something and sometimes We just sit down and we need to get something on the page to make us feel whole, balanced, better. And it doesn't always mean that it's publishable. And that can be a really hard lesson to learn. And I'm still learning it. Like I'm trying to learn how to be patient. Um, When I first started, I just wanted to write them as quick as I could, get Mm. them out as quick as I could, get them published and kind of build that idea of what you know publishing looked like and those kind of things and now i'm trying to be a little more patient a little more meticulous in some ways that like i do have time you know what i mean mm-hmm. i think that's the biggest currency that a writer has is time um, so in a lot of ways it was when i first started writing especially once i had finished undergrad finished my mfa and i was working uh, my wife is a a fourth grade teacher so we're trying to balance a household and all that kind of stuff and then my mm-hmm. daughter was born in 2011 uh, was just you know coming and sitting down whenever I had the opportunity that didn't necessarily affect everyone else's life as well. Uh, By no means am I a a perfect spouse or a perfect parent by any means, Uh, but we really do try to share the load as much as possible, knowing that for whatever reason uh, or not, whatever reason, you know, moms take on so much of the bulk of the work. I'm very grateful to be able to have time to to do what I'm doing. Uh, But anyway, uh, a lot of it, that's the reason I think I did sit down to flash is because I could finish something. And I felt, you know that whole like firstborn, midwestern introverted person like i wanted to say i completed something and so i think that's one of the reasons i I fell into flash as well um and and, and now and i was a teacher as well uh working with a middle school special education student so like it really was just finding like 30 minutes here and there and just pounding out that 30 minutes and finding out like what i could do in 30 minutes or what i could do in two sessions of a thing um instead of like trying to work on a short story for months and losing the whole frame of like who the character was and what they were doing and all those kind of things and so I, that is one of the reasons i think i came like i've got a moment i'm gonna write the moment um and sometimes you sit down and nothing comes uh or you write a few lines and it's just like i said i don't have the first line and i'm not good to go uh now i have more time um i'm now um working from home full-time running to liter- literary magazines i'm uh teaching uh people flash fiction editing all that kind of stuff so i'm now i'm fitting it in around other people's words which is really inspiring to see what everyone else is doing um but there is times when like i'm in full-on editing mode and so mm-hmm. like i may not write for three or four days until i can kind of clear a little bit of the voice of the editor <laughs> yeah, out yeah. to back to my own just creative joy and angst it's not always a good
0: time <laughs> mostly, mostly angst yeah, for me a lot, yeah. the,
1: yeah, a lot of angst over here as well like i don't sit down and it's just rainbows and butterflies <laughs> when i'm writing these stories but uh so i'm not a writer that writes every day um and a lot of times the pressure builds up and then i just have to get to the page um my wife always says like oh you wrote today didn't you and i was like yeah i'm happier (laughs) aren't i like i'm just more balanced more centered more in the world now because i'm not like oh my gosh i need to write Um, so i don't think you need to write every day i think you need to do whatever makes sense to you and your process and your system and whatever balances you most of us writers i think have to write because it does balance or center us in some ways, or it allows us to get stress, tension, or at least different stress and t- tension out, <laughs> even though the writing causes its own. Um, so that's kind of yeah, and I'm still kind of just fitting it in sometimes. Like, uh, I really like there's times when I'm like, oh, I'm gonna write this outline for this novel, and then I write another flash instead because, like, to think about another project that would take a long time when I could just write a flash um it's just a matter of yeah fitting it in i guess
0: that's fascinating you've spoken about your involvement as an editor and you're doing a lot to help other creatives and other folks bring their stories to life can you share a bit about that role i know you mentioned it just for a moment what that actually um what that actually means but i'm curious what the day-to-day looks like as an editor over at fractured lit and how you came about doing that
1: yeah okay that's a great question um so i've always kind of wanted to like live a literary life in a lot of ways and just be surrounded by writers and and read the amazing like i've you know the way that i learned how to write flash was by reading amazing flash writers uh so eventually i kind of realized like after my mfa that like oh i should probably try to work for a lit journal like i think that'd be really cool to like read the stories as they come in the queue um and have the opportunity to kind of bump some stories up and hope they get published um so i i started with a couple of literary journals that kind of like uh the first one which i love the title is like girls with insurance it doesn't exist anymore um but we got some really cool stuff and i got to help publish some of that stuff and then eventually like i wanted to do more writing myself and so like i kind of stopped and then eventually i published a story with split lip magazine called god's eye and i loved the experience working with the editor there at the time um so much that i was like hey can i come and be a volunteer reader so i went and read for them uh for a year or two um and i really love their magazine but a lot of their stuff was very voicey and so a lot of the stuff that i was pushing up didn't necessarily fit with what they were doing and so eventually I, we just kind of parted ways in totally like great amicable way but it just wasn't working as far as like what i was kind of looking for as a reader in some ways and i think that's important to know like when you jive with a lit mag and when you don't and i think Most writers, especially if you're writing Flash or whatever, probably should go and see what happens behind the scenes. And you could just see how many great stories are coming through and that the fact that journals can only take so many. Um, Another way that I got uh, a job was I started with Craft, uh, which is Craft Literary, which is one of the sister uh, sites uh, with a fractured. uh, It's kind of like a, a family of literary magazines again, I had written a craft essay. The editor worked with me to make it way better than it was. We published it and I was like, Hey, by the way, this is great. I'd like to work with you. So then I went and read for them for quite a a while. And then I became their section editor for Flash. And that was was exciting because then I was like, it was like me and then the the editor in chief. And like, we were making decisions about what was being published as the Flash. And I was like, oh, this is super exciting um, to be able to, to to bring those stories forward and say like we're publishing this as a as our magazine and we really love them uh and then they the the owners of the company saw that they wanted to do more flash and they asked me if i wanted to be editor-in-chief of fracture and i said absolutely (laughs) and then they uh one of the weird things because most people don't get paid they said we actually can pay you for this job as well and i said absolutely i would love to um and so we had started to design Fractured and Fractured came out April of 2020, which we know is the weirdest of times in all of our lives. Hopefully it'll be the weirdest time we ever have and we don't see this kind of thing again. But uh, it it was kind of good for me because it helped me to be able to transition from teaching and being really worried about getting COVID. Um, I actually have uh, fibromyalgia and I was really worried about covid and what that might do to it and all that kind of stuff um surprisingly i still haven't gotten covid, which is really weird to be i know because my family's had it and i haven't it's it's amazing yeah um but it, it was a good time because lots of people had time to focus on literary things that they might not have had time to focus on before and so it was a really good time to grow up a magazine it's just amazing to have all these kind of writers put their trust in in your magazine and in you to see the value uh and the and the work and the joy and the angst that they put into it and then for uh for people to come back and say that you know fractured is one of their dream magazines to be published in is just so gratifying and it and i'm a writer you know myself like i'm still trying to publish myself and i still deal with a lot of rejection so it's just one of those things that i love being a part of the community. And we're all doing the, the same things. Like I get it, like I understand. Like I started as someone who did not work with a lit journal that was trying to get published, then started working with a lit journal as a volunteer reader with no pay kind of thing and and helping to try to bump up stories that deserve to be read by editors-in-chiefs until like now I'm an editor-in-chief and um, trying to, you know, build the best magazine that we can and to provide as much support to writers as we can like we do pay uh all our writers when we publish uh we do have contests with fees but our our payment for the winner is three thousand dollars that's like three times than that like the normal contest thing so that's one of the things that i'm really excited about with fractured as well is that we do work really hard to support and pay writers just like myself um and, and other writers that um yeah, we try to be as diverse as possible as well and try to allow people to tell as many stories as they can.
0: Well, that's fascinating and and really wonderful of a service that you folks provide over there. I love this idea of the pandemic opening up. The one good thing that came out of the pandemic, at least for me, was that I was able to focus more on those creative pursuits, much like a lot of folks, as you were saying. And I'm really curious to know for those who are still kind of on the fringes of joining a community, especially an online community, what are some things that you could say to really encourage that ha- haven't already been said about the benefits of branching out, especially if you're a younger person who's starting out and and really needs to have that community online?
1: Yeah, so uh, I think we can kind of go back to the small townness part, right? Like there's not a flash community here in my small town uh ian south Bend which is an hour away or indianapolis who brings in writers you know for talks and those kind of things is two and a half hours so there's not a lot of culture here and so in a lot of ways like you you had to go online um to to find that um and at first uh you know twitter was an amazing place for that it's not as good as it has been with everything that's going on like when. I first joined, I was like, why am I doing this? I have nothing to talk about. But then I saw all the writers that were there that were sharing their work and how much easier it was to find amazing things to read and then amazing ways to connect with these writers Like you could talk to the person about the story that you had just read. When I first um, started reading stuff in, in Smoke Long and, and Wig Leaf uh, and some other magazines that are no longer here unfortunately there was no real way to connect with the writer necessarily you would read it and love it and then it'd be like well i don't have a blog so like how do i share this stuff you know this was like not super old but like 2010 2011 like i and or i would write something and you would never know like if anyone had read it or not like only like the person that was reading that literary magazine every week or every month or whatever, that's what you're hoping for. And now you could not only broadcast your stories to just so many more people than before, but you could build like real unique friendships through the work and through the writing. And one of the other ways that I kind of started to form community, which I really, really wanted, uh, was my own kind of like writing community as well, was I would just share beta reads with people. I just put up there like, hey, I finished a story. Does anyone want to swap? Twitter. And I made lots of, you know, friends that way, lots of colleagues that way. Uh, I started to know more about these writers. So like, I would hope that they eventually would send, our, send the work to um, Fractured as well. Like it's all just kind of like, there's an ability now to kind of talk to people in ways that we couldn't before. When I first started writing, like the way that I started to learn was I read a lot of interviews, like by Charles Baxter, Tobias Wolff uh, Elizabeth Strout was one of my favorite writers. Like I would just read all these interviews and and kind of like what we're doing now and all that kind of stuff. And that was it. Like it was just me and the page reading about them. And I felt like I knew a lot about them, but like there was no way to connect. And and now there are lots of ways to connect. Uh, I think some people are trying all kinds of different things like discord, (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um, and some of these other, uh, social medias that may or may not work. I'm trying to stay (laughs) stay on Twitter (laughs) because I've gotten so much good out of it. You know, yeah. like it may be falling apart around us and obviously I don't condone any of like the hate speech and all that kind of stuff, right. uh, which obviously I wish would go away. Um, and it's not fair for anyone to have to experience, but like there are so many bonds and relationships that I've had just by doing that, I guess at first, like reading interviews and then reaching out to writers. And then now you can reach out to writers on Twitter. Uh, I'm very open myself about right, you know, writers reaching out to me to talk about their own work, my work, the work they love. Um, it's also how I find you know, teaching opportunities as well um, that I don't know that I would have ways to connect with these writers that I love to work with. Um, I love to help people not only improve the story they're working on, but like hopefully they'll be able to take it and use it for other stories down the road. And I'm still learning myself. I learn just as much from them as I <laughs> as they probably hopefully learn from me um and i think the other way yeah to be a part of community is yeah get involved with the literary magazine and kind of see what's happening in the background like if you want to publish like it's good to know like why people are making the decisions about what they're publishing watching how much they can publish how many good things come through that like is not maybe just the right fit for the magazine at that time but should go to a different magazine singular kind of lonely process in a lot of ways and so like when you can add community to that uh, if you're interested anyway like if you're not and you want to be uh <laughs> cormac mccarthy like that's fine <laughs> uh that's fine too but like if you're looking for there are ways i think to uh form that create that uh curate that um and and i hope that i give back just as much as as i get if if not more and i think. That's kind of the way I approach life anyway it's like it's just a service giving kind of mindset and that's kind of a true way to build a community
0: beautiful and I got one more question to ask you to be mindful of your time but Tommy this has been amazing you're really uh, giving so much to the community that it's an absolute pleasure to get to talk to you but lastly I want to ask you how one goes about quantifying success as a Working creative as somebody who is just out in the world doing the best they can with the time they have, with the resources they have. Because it's not about, you know, the fame and fortune or whatever in my thinking, but I'm curious what your take is on <laughs> success and how you quantify it on a day to day basis.
1: Uh, yeah, I think it's a really good question. You're right. It's not fame and fortune, especially when you're, when you're writing flash fiction, a lot of times you don't even get paid for the stories that you publish, which is just kind of part of it. Like, um, we don't live in those days when, uh, your story would go on the radio or in a magazine and the ads were paying for it kind of thing. We have so much free content out there. Um, so it's amazing when anyone reads a story, when anyone accepts a story out of the thousands that they get each year. Um, So I think each individual kind of has to look at success in their own kind of way. Um, and it's probably not monetary. Like if you love to write or at least need to write, then like hopefully the writing at some point is the success, right? Like the, the willingness and ability to sit in the chair and do what you need to do, love to do. Uh, I think part of the success is finding a way to find some play and joy in your writing time uh, if, if possible. I know that's not possible for, for everyone, but like, if you can, I think that's a certain amount of success. I feel a certain amount of success when I finish a draft (laughs) in a lot of ways. Um, But then, you know, publishing it, it's taken a while, but you kind of have to separate the writing from the publishing publishing in a lot of ways is the business part of writing even if you're not getting paid for it. And just kind of like, if you can separate those the best you can and take what solace and joy you can from the writing and then are willing to do or play the numbers game that, that is submitting, uh, a play writing must be even harder because there's only so many outlets of, of where your play can go, at least for flash or short stories, like there's thousands of lit mags for better or for worse, right? Um, so we do not we do have a lot of opportunities in that way. Um, I don't know that every writer needs to write a novel. I think I struggle with that all the time, thinking that outside, quantitative, like to the people that love me or the strangers, like I kind of want them to hold my... But like, you know, Raymond Carver never wrote a novel. Andre DeBuse never wrote a novel. Uh, Deborah Eisenberg, as far as I know, has never written a novel. And I would consider them very successful writers uh, from my point of view um, because they did what they loved and they were able to put it out for people to read and hopefully enjoy uh and, and if you're somebody like me analyze and <laughs> turn back into ways <laughs> to write so this is kind of rambling in some ways but like it, it, we're not working at you know a law firm or if i was a prosecutor like i wanted to be like my success would have been like on my uh prosecution rate i would say like oh i'm 75 percent of winning cases or whatever I, I don't have that kind of number for writing. I don't even have that number for like, oh, I want to publish 20 stories a year. I, I think that some ways that, that I, I used to have that idea, like, oh, I just want to publish more than I published before. And then, you know, like you publish 20 once and then you go back to three the next year. Is that less successful? Not necessarily if you are doing your best writing or that you're publishing wit to journals that have an even smaller publication or acceptance rate. Or just whatever you can to keep yourself going that makes yourself happy, and and halfway best success to me. Uh, there's also a success for me like of helping other writers get their work published, um, and helping them kind of move down their own process and journey. Like is a big deal to me. Uh, putting out the best literary magazine that we can, either and helping. Uh, uh, underrepresented writers as well and make all of that is just a big ball of success. And that's all just writing. That has nothing to do with like, like you said, being a father or being a spouse. Uh, so the answer is, I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but to be comfortable in the not knowing is what makes you so damn good at what you do. So thank you so much, Tommy, uh, for thank everything. You. This is uh this hour went too fast. <laughs> I have so many things that I would I would continue to bug you about. Yeah. But I really want to thank you for the work that you've been doing to serve the writing community online, for being an educator, for lifting other people up, and of course for the tremendous work that you're doing in your chosen form in Flash, which is just this this beautiful experience. So I strongly urge folks to check out your Substack, which has been really informative for me. I mean, we didn't even get into that part, but it's, I really can't thank you enough for that. And, uh, yeah, for being an awesome guy. Thank you so much. This is a pleasure.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I, and if you ever want me to come back yes. and we can talk about other things, <laughs> yeah, we could definitely Absolutely. do that. Uh, I had you know. such a great time. <laughs> such good questions. Thank you for providing this, uh, for writers and listeners and them. Uh, a chance to to hear other writers and maybe form community out of that as well. So thank you for, for doing the podcast.
0: Awesome, Tommy. Well, I hope that you enjoy the rest of your Sunday. I'll be in touch real soon on the internet, but please take care and all the best to you over there.
1: Thank you. You too. Happy writing.
0: (laughs) You too. Bye.